whatever happened to Bonfire Night? Is it just that, without noticing, I find my age now starts with a six rather than a one, and the Bonfire Nights I used to celebrate are, well, somewhat further away than I imagine? Or has the evening fallen prey to our all-consuming desire to sterilise and sanitise and make everything safer than a safe thing? Or am I back to my usual reason of just being increasingly grumpy as I get older? The smell of garden bonfires hanging in the autumn air is as integral to this part of autumn as Christmas carols and seasonal foodstuffs and cinnamon-scented air fresheners are to the retail shopping experience in that most magical time of the year for retailers between late August and the beginning of December, when, of course, the January sales start. The pinnacle of bonfire-making, of course, back in the day, would come on November the 5th, when a whole night was dedicated to the celebration of all things pyrotechnical. Yes, of course, it's dangerous. Fire, in all its forms, has for millennia enjoyed a simultaneous role as man's greatest friend when tamed and most dangerous enemy when not. You can never make a fireworks night completely safe any more than you could make a TT completely safe. But with some sensible precautions, biscuit tins to the ready, and perhaps more importantly, well-honed parental supervision and intervention where necessary, it was possible, back in the day, it seemed to me, to have a splendid bonfire night with injuries no more serious than a red face, dirty hands, and your entire body from head to toes and mostly hair, or bobble hat, take as appropriate, reeking of smoke. We didn't have massive firework parties, but I do remember my mum and dad. I, I love sparklers, actually. I'm a big sparkler fan, and I still love them now, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and did you, what did you do with your fireworks then? Because I always remember Blue Peter every year, biscuit tins. Um, yeah, my mum and dad always kept their fireworks in a biscuit tin. Always. And the sparklers as well. In fact, my dad was, like, completely in charge of the whole setup of the fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> do you still do fireworks now? I don't anymore. Um, we did a little bit when Ben was younger and I remember James buying this ridiculous gigantic thing that looked like a car tyre and then he decided to set it off in our garden. Um, <laughs> and just when you thought it finished and you were going to walk up to it, another set would go Something off. Something else went off. Oh my God, it was awful. <laughs> I was particularly lucky as we had the space in which to build a bonfire of Blyton-esque proportions. Now, just to clarify here before anyone writes in, I don't honestly recall if Enid Blyton wrote many stories about bonfires, but I'm sure if she did, they would have been jolly big. In fact, the field on which we had our bonfire, now uh, sadly a housing estate, I'm afraid, another reason I expect that bonfire night has had its day for many, was large enough, back in my day, to have three bonfires. One by the kids at the bottom end of the field known universally as the Gooseneck. Those were the kids, now mostly I'd imagine in their 50s and 60s, around Balakamine Avenue and Balakamine Drive. Another bonfire by kids in the middle of the field, who would be around Balabury Way and Balabury Grove. And one by those at the top end of the field, who would be mostly from Westminster Drive and the surrounds. Each group, of course, vied for bonfire supremacy, 
and would have hidden stashes of rubbish buried in secret locations around the area. We had fabulous bonfires, and in fact, uh, the gooseneck, as it was known, the field that ran down from Balakameen to the bottom uh, just above Peel Road, we used to have three different bonfires on the field, the top, the middle, and the bottom bonny, all of which were highly competitive with each other. So you had to guard your bonfire so that nobody would come and steal the stuff that you had to make their bonfire better. And I remember being the appointed guard and was sitting on top of the bonfire in the daytime, the day before bonfire night, in a chair, and I remember dozing off to sleep. And I remember waking up a little later with somebody screaming because the bonfire was on fire, because the middle bonfire, a young man was firing Roman candles at us, and one of which had set the bonfire on fire with me sitting on the top of it. And uh, that person, in fact, I won't mention his name because it would obviously be embarrassing, but it was long before he was either a postman or the mayor of Douglas. Such behaviour is nothing new, it seems. Take this story from the Ramsey Courier of Friday, November the 16th, 1934. Fireworks in the Lion's Den. On November the 2nd, two youths named George Lawrence Woodhouse and Stanley Armstrong threw fireworks into the Douglas Police Station. The police, however, apprehended the offenders and charged them last week with setting fireworks off in the street. The High Bailiff said that this was the first charge of its kind that had been brought before him. Inspector Farragher, if it had happened on November the 5th, no notice would have been taken, but these boys came to the lion's den and threw fireworks into the police station. On the boys promising in the future to confine their firework display to November the 5th, they were let off with a fine of one shilling and two shillings and eightpence costs each. I love the fact that Inspector Farragher said that if the boys had actually thrown the fireworks into the police station on bonfire night, November the 5th, no one apparently would have minded. We would go from door to door around our patch, banging on the doors of householders to ask if they had any rubbish we could take away to burn, and many would be happy to oblige and allow us to drag off an old chair or perhaps a cupboard or a wardrobe or a table or boxes of junk from the garage or attic or maybe just an unpopular relative or two. I imagine such an activity is now an arrestable offence, particularly in the last category, which, to be absolutely fair, I made up. I don't ever remember burning any unpopular relatives. I think. Those children whose parents owed shops or businesses, of course, would even bring a van or truck to our bonny site to drop off old packing cases or mattresses or cardboard boxes or tyres even. Again, a practice which I suspect would now be regarded as akin to providing your loved one with an AK-47 with which to amuse themselves. Such activity would go on for at least a week or ten days or so prior to the big day itself, November the 5th, the problem sometimes being, of course, where you could keep your hoard of wonderful burnable rubbish dry. Thanks, Mum. As a terraced houseboy living down at Sydney Street, uh, we didn't have that luxury, but there was one very memorable year when my father allowed us to have a bonfire in the backyard. And yes, that's an ordinary terraced backyard. <laughs> so we set fire to this lump of wood uh, up against the back door, but uh, it was quite a breezy night 
And my main memory is that every time the wind blew the, the bonfire flames towards us, we went, back towards the house! Back towards the <laughs> But marvellous fun. Marvellous fun. The fun you could have. Hiding in giant cardboard boxes when it started to rain when you were out and about. Making caterpillar tracks out of old strips of carpet or corrugated cardboard in which you could crawl in and then roll around tank-like around the field. Climbing to the top of the bonfire to stand there like Tensing or Hillary surveying the horizon for raiding parties from other estates. Or running like hell when they did turn up. Or at least trying to find someone bigger and older to sort them out. We were brought up in Kueg and we had amazing bonfires because uh, Ronnie Cowan used to be uh, one of the managers at the brewery. So every year we'd get a couple of deliveries of all the old wooden beer crates and we'd build some fantastic bonfires just below the Ellenbrook estate. But what we used to do was build a little camp uh, on, on, on the field and then build the bonfire on top of it and we could go inside and we were so scared of the children from outside the area coming and set fire to a bonfire. We used to all sleep in the, inside the bonfire and protect it from outsiders. And I'm beginning to think that's absolutely frightening when you thought we, we slept inside the bonfire and all these, all these kids were dying to set it alight before 5th of November. So, yes, it, it really was frightening now when I think about it. Then... The big night itself, when all the adults will be invited out for the great lighting and the hope that it wasn't too wet to just smoulder meekly like a damp squib. Hopefully it would burst forth into an eruption of heat and light, sparks and crackles, and soon no one would be able to get within 20 or 30 feet of it. The parents would cheer and smile and stand around for a few minutes chatting, and yes, some of them would just stand there later on in the evening, staring into the flames, sometimes lost in their own thoughts. I like to think even then that they were reliving the bonfires of their youth. But who knows? They could have been thinking about the next day's work. Meanwhile, I had aeroplanes, the firework type I mean, flip-flops, now long gone, banned by the Health and Safety Brigade, helicopters, ditto, and fireflies to light. Roman candles, still available, possibly, to admire volcanoes, one of my favourites, to erupt and spew lava down the outside of the cardboard cone, and my personal favourite, rockets, which would be launched from metal tubes strapped to gateposts, or, in some circumstances for the smaller ones, old milk bottles. Of course, we'd all save up with Penny for the guy and to make uh, some money to buy fireworks with, and the standard was the small box of standard fireworks, which was about eight to ten inches long, had a very small rocket, a Vesuvius a flip-flop maybe if you were lucky, and no bangers in the box, but you get somebody who would kindly buy some bangers for you when you were allowed such things. But we had a cousin of a mum's who used to come around. He was a bachelor and he liked to bring some bigger fireworks to do a little display in our garden for the street and for the kids round and about. And we're all standing outside watching these one year and uh, he'd rigged up quite a nice launching tube for rockets and so on. But one rocket, he was dismayed to find the stick had broken on it. Now, without having to know a huge amount about aerodynamics, you'd realise that the pendulous effect of the stick on a rocket is really what contributes towards it going straight up. And with us was uh, my sister, who's a bit older than me, as she won't mind me saying that, and uh, some of her friends, including uh, somebody 
again, a well-known singer and raconteur long before he was an MLC, who at the time was trying to attract the attention of the daughter of the next-door neighbours to our house. And he said, oh, give me that here. I know, I know exactly how to launch a rocket like that with a broken stick. He said, look, you see, what you do is you put it on the edge of the curb like this. Not propped upwards, just sitting kind of horizontally on the edge of the curb. I must say I had some doubts and I was quite little at the time. But anyway, he lit it and we all stood back. Well, it took off, did an emergency turn, did a U-turn, went straight back in through the window of the young lady who was trying to chat up his bedroom in the house next door. I should tell you the window was closed at the time. Smashed straight through the pane and we all stood outside watching it bounce around the walls inside the room until at the end it went... We applauded, I think, and we're glad the house hadn't gone on fire, but they, uh, they never flourished in that relationship. At the end of the evening, people drifted away, one by one, and children were called in by age until the fire was left on its own, by which time it had died down to a large circle of red embers and shards and wires from tyres and innards of mattresses hissing and crackling contentedly to itself in the dark. The smell of smoke lingered for days around the area, and I have to say this, the scent of a spent banger still rates up there in my desert island list. I even remember we would try and keep the fire going for as long as we could. The embers would certainly go for 24 or 48 hours, and with a little bit of patient care, you could keep some of them going for several days. I seem to recall, by dint of a few biscuit tins and daily prodding, we kept some little bits of red glowing for a whole week after the event. Organised bonfire nights, now all the thing really, and firework displays, are lovely, I'm sure. Spectacular, almost certainly. Safer, well, I'm sure the figures bear that out over the years. But they can never really be the same as a firework or bonfire party of your own. Nor can they perhaps teach children about risk and responsibility in the same way. Fireworks and bonfires weren't so much the danger as the minority of hopeless parents who couldn't really be bothered or were incapable of keeping an eye on their offspring and ensuring they knew such things. Fireworks, bangers, sparklers, bonfires could be incredibly dangerous if they weren't treated with great respect. That said, I would have loved to have been present for this display, detailed in the Manx Sun of 1878, but not, as you might think, just prior to November the 5th. No, this was an advert on Saturday the 31st of August. Derby Castle Hotel and Pleasure Grounds, last grand display of the season. Fireworks, fireworks, balloon ascents, Tuesday evening next September the 3rd, commencing at 8pm prompt when the following special programme will be gone through. The programme, rockets with bright stars, rockets with gold rain, flights of shells, beautiful coloured jeux, grand design in coloured Roman candles and brilliance, all the yew tree rockets with snakes. Curious and complicated design, the double square and four illustrations. Rockets with red and green stars. New design in eight points, commencing with rainbow wheel in the centre, changing to eight other illuminated wheels, all turning at an immense velocity, adorned with red, green and purple centres, changing to a beautiful star in brilliant fire with loud reports. 
Grand sensational spectacle, the fiery phoenix, or flying dragon, will traverse the grounds four times, displaying an illuminated wheel at each return. The grand ascent of two large balloons at once, racing each other through the air, displaying fireworks of various colours. An immense design composed entirely of rainbow wheels, 18 feet high, representing a large fountain of real fire. Rockets with comet stars, flights of stars, beautiful design of Chinese pagoda in brilliant wheels and coloured Roman candles. Rockets with red and green stars. Grand concluding piece got up expressly for this occasion, representing a large temple 20 feet high and 12 feet wide in thousands of jets of real fire, concluding with a grand finale of the flight of 30 large rockets in the air at once. Shells, maroons and two large balloons will leave the ground during the day. The whole under the superintendence of Professor Caldwell of Leeds, Dancing as usual on the splendid illuminated platform, a first-class band of ten performers. Now that is what you call a firework party, albeit in September. And from the fact that it was billed as the last grand display, we can assume that there were plenty more like them during the summer season. The cost, incidentally, well, according to the end of the article, in order to give everyone an opportunity of witnessing this, the last display of the season, although it didn't bill how many other displays there had been, the manager has decided on having the charge for admission of sixpence. Quite generous, half price, as previously it had been one shilling. A generous man, the manager, Mr W. Lawrence. Or a shrewd businessman. Or possibly both. The use and sale of fireworks, it seems, back in the day was something of a year-round activity, as witnessed by this advert from the Isle of Man Advertising Courier of November the 8th, three days after Bonfire Night, 1860. Stocks just coming in. Fireworks, fireworks, fireworks. Just received a large supply of fireworks of every description at George Sherwood's Duke Street, the corner of Wellington Street, Douglas. Still... It's fairly academic for many kids now. Many of those in town don't have the space in which to build bonfires, like I did in my youth. People recycle lots of their old chattels, of course, and don't throw them away so readily, which, it has to be said, is probably a very good thing. Shops and businesses have to abide by much stricter rules on disposal of commercial rubbish. A box of fireworks, the last time I looked, which was a year or two back, cost more than is currently in government reserves. Not difficult these days, it has to be said. I thought a year or two ago I'd buy a big rocket for old time's sake, but was rather shocked to discover it had the same price tag as, well, roughly the Apollo moon programme, so I didn't bother. He didn't even get a free milk bottle. No wonder NASA had to give up. Even if you can, these days, afford a second mortgage on your house to buy some fireworks, there are now, of course, strict rules on when you can let them off, which if ignored, could land you in serious trouble with the fireworks police, who presumably would come round and give you a rocket. Speaking of which, how about a little riddle for you to solve? With, of course, a bonfire theme. It's from the Isle of Man Times of October the 17th, 
1958. Uncle Jack, if you remember Uncle Jack, with something of a gunpowder plot conundrum. Uncle Jack says he will award a prize to the best correct entry. I don't know how you decide which is the best correct entry. Received by me between now and next Friday. Here's the riddle. My first is in Rooney, also in Raw. Next I'm in Odor and also in Daw. My third is in Cricket and in Carrier 2. Fourth, I'm in King, but never in Hugh. Fifth, I'm in Ever and also in Weed. Last, I'm in Toffee, but never in Seed. On November the 5th, you set me alight, and I roar into the sky at the dead of night, like a Sputnik or spaceship bound for the moon, finally exploding with a big, big boom. What am I? Not too tricky. However, if you were the best correct entry, what did you win? Well, fireworks, of course. Undeterred, I might just have a little bonfire of my own in the garden. I hope it won't damage the environment too much. I'll make sure it doesn't roast any hedgehogs. I'll make sure my cats are inside and there's no sign of any other pets or farm animals close by. I won't sadly be letting off any bangers or air bombs. I'll just perhaps burn a few dried branches or a log and perhaps have a glass of wine or whiskey and stare into the flames. And maybe, if I could find a sparkler or two kicking around somewhere, I might be able to light it in the bonfire as of old. And if it's a still night, I could wander around the garden for a few precious seconds, waving them joyously in the air, watching the sparks fly, or writing my name. Or perhaps I'd just write, What a shame! And if there's time before it goes out, I think I'm getting grumpier. And then ponder to myself before I put out the flames and amble back into shelter. Whatever happened to Bonfire Night? Remember, remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder, treason and plot. I know of no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fox, Guy Fox, it was his intent to blow up the king and the parliament. Three score barrels of powder below, poor old England to overthrow. By God's providence, he was catched with a dark lantern and burning match. Holla boys, holla boys, make the bells ring. Holla boys, holla boys, God save the king. Hip hip, hooray. <laughs>